Welcome to episode number three of A Story Not Forgotten, brought to you by Capturing Legacies Incorporated because everyone has a story. I am Al Deldegan, founder and anthologist with Capturing Legacies, and I am your host for this episode. Today's guest is Les Wiseman. Les is teaching communications and all forms of writing at Royal Roads University in Victoria. He was the associate editor for Vancouver Magazine and wrote a rock and roll column called In One Ear, showcasing the emerging punk scene. Les was known as the guy on the West Coast for writing profiles, and TV Guide contacted him to write a column called On the Town with Les Wiseman, interviewing stars who came to Vancouver. That was just the start of Les's provocative career. Les Wiseman, thank you so much for joining me today. Why don't you uh, tell me a story? Okay. Well, it's uh, a long, twisted, uh, perverse tale of how I uh, became a teacher and uh, an instructor in communications out at Royal Roads University. Um, it, it all started, as it were, when I was uh, a young man and wanted to become an archaeologist. And I went to UBC uh, to become an archaeologist, and I found there really wasn't a whole lot of jobs for archaeologists out there, and that taking sociology classes were making me insane. So I one day walked into the offices of the student newspaper there, which is called the UBC. It's a kind of a play on the Odyssey. It's U-B-Y-S-S-E-Y sort of thing. And uh, they said, what do you uh, know how to do? And I said, well, I know an awful lot about rock and roll. And so I started writing about rock and roll acts that uh, came to uh, Vancouver. And bang, as soon as I saw my first byline, I was a byline junkie. I was absolutely hooked. And I guess I'd been a bit of a schlub uh, throughout some parts of my life, the junior high school part of my life. and. You know, the whole counterculture really, really saved me uh, from being <laughs> a consistent schlub throughout the rest of my life. So uh, I gave up on the idea of becoming an archaeologist and uh, was having an absolute gas writing for the UBC. One of my great heroes was um, Lou Reed. Uh, the great rock and roll poet and, uh, uh, you know, originator of, you know, drone music and massive feedback and things like that. And uh, I got to sit around and drink scotch with him and his uh, transsexual girlfriend, Rachel, uh, during Christmas one time. And for me, that was just like meeting the Messiah or you know, a, a deity sitting down to earth. Same with uh, Don Van Vliet, who uh, a lot of people know better as Captain Beefheart. And Captain Beefheart was part of the whole Frank Zappa crew, and uh, he created a new form of music by blending the Mississippi Delta blues with 
the freeform jazz that Ornette Coleman and John Coltrane and people were starting to put out uh, at that time. And, you know, he formed this whole different form of music. And I had loved this type of music forever and ever. Uh, because as a kid, all I'd do is sit around and listen to these weird records and read National Lampoon all the time. <laughs> so, so suddenly, I uh, working for the UBC, I got uh, you know to meet all these heroes. I think the first person I interviewed was uh, Roger McGuinn from The Birds. And he was a terrific fellow. And then I interviewed Al Stewart, who was huge that uh, year with uh, the Year of the Cat tour. And so I eventually built up this huge, big portfolio of articles that I'd written. And, you know, we were still all going to school and all that. But, uh, you know, sometimes you'd have to burn the midnight oil to get your stories in. So uh, when I graduated, I had this big, massive portfolio, and I didn't really know what to do with it. And so right after graduation, I became a ditch digger. Um, you know the Stanley Park seawall? You've probably walked around it. Yep. I built that damn thing. Oh, wow. Yes, sir. Yes, and out in all kinds of weather, pouring rain, oh, God, hauling big uh, wheelbarrows full of asphalt and lifting those huge rocks up and all that. So needless to say, it wasn't what I really had gone to school to do. Um, and so I took my portfolio into Vancouver Magazine, which then was a really prestigious magazine. It was very much like the Esquire Magazine of the North or the Vanity Fair of the North. Um, it's, uh, I'm not familiar with what it's like now, but I don't think it's like that uh, now. And uh, there was a very eccentric editor there uh, named Malcolm Perry. And Malcolm is and has been for, I guess, the last 12 or so years, been the saloon columnist for uh, the Vancouver Sun. But at that point, he was running a highly eccentric magazine. And uh, I walked in and said, what this magazine needs is a rock and roll column. And he looked at me and he said, you know what? This magazine really doesn't need a rock and roll column. <laughs> But he said, are you interested in doing any feature work? And I said, sure. And I, you know, uh, he said, what's going on? And I said, well, punk rock. And um, punk rock, uh, he said, what's going on? And I said, well, there's a Destroy Canada Day on July 1st in Stanley Park. And this was 1978. And DOA and the Subhumans, the Skulls, the Rabid, and various other punk rock types were going to play in this area of the park. He said, go out and cover it. So I did it, and it was, uh, it was so, totally a guess um, seeing this kind of music that was based around a subculture of pure poverty. And of course it got busted by the police and P 
people were burning flags and there was all kinds of uh, trouble going on. The music was incredibly raw and savage, uh, played by guys who had picked up a guitar probably less than a year before. Wow. And uh, the, it was populated by just the most amazing pierced and tattooed freaks I had ever seen. Um, anyhow, that story uh, eventually became uh, the cover story of the September uh, issue of Vancouver Magazine. It went up on billboards all over town, and suddenly my name was all over town on billboards. And uh, I guess I had a little berth as a, as a rising journalism star. So I kept working on all that until, you know, I became, you know, involved in various different fields from historical research articles to uh, going out and interviewing businessmen articles to, uh, I, you name it, I'd write about it. And then they gave me the rock and roll column. So that gave me uh, access to a whole other world. Suddenly, I was out nights playing uh, playing pool with Gene Simmons from Kiss uh, after he'd finished a show because you know he didn't drink or anything, so he was kind of at a lot lost to do after a show. And um, I did actually get to meet Frank Zappa, my personal, for lack of a better term. Uh, God, <laughs> and uh, it was just such a hoot because uh, we were in uh, Carlos and Bud's, uh, which is a restaurant in Vancouver that had a uh, gasoline pump in the middle of the room, and he was touring a uh, album called Joe's Garage, oh, so God. it was perfect thematically. I always worked with a specific photographer named Alex Waterhouse Hayward, and uh, we got there, uh, you know, right after the concert ended. The only people who came in for the next 45 minutes were Frank Zappa and Ike Willis, his uh, other guitar player. So I could just spend, you know, 45 minutes with my hero, my absolute idol, the person who did so much in creating my persona and personality and we could sit around and talk about 1950s bebop groups and chain smoke cigarettes because uh, you know frank was uh, not a not a drinker and he was had a very anti-drug stance but he was a chain smoker so that was kind of fun and we got all kinds of great pictures because he really let his uh he let his guard down uh because he knew we were complete zappa heads and that you know we wouldn't do wrong by him you know he often said that he didn't like the press because the press was not capable of good work and i just assured him that wouldn't be the case in this instance so we have all kinds of great pictures of him. Uh, he stole the cowboy hat off the waitress, and we've got him as this sort of uh, 
poncy L.A. cowboy with his uh, big Zapata mustache and <laughs> all that. So uh, that was very fun, and it led to all kinds of things. Um, when Iggy Pop was, uh, when he had the Blah 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 album, uh, it went gold in Canada first, and it was Iggy's first gold album. So we did an interview with him, and then we went to this area where he was uh, given his album, and he he had at that point given up heroin and cocaine and most drinking, but there were a couple of bottles of champagne there, and we did end up, uh, him and me, pretty much... Uh, downing them and becoming best buddies uh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, because he was obviously very happy about having, you know, the sales of a gold album here in Canada. Nice. Um, so many uh, things. And I guess it became known that I was the guy who uh, could get in with the stars in BC. And when Expo 86 came along, um, John Keyes from uh, the editor of TV Guide called me up and said, we'd like you to do a, a column on what's happening in Vancouver every week, and it'll be self-assigning. Wow. So that meant I could write anything I want. So I would go on a show that was, say, filming in Vancouver, like uh, uh, there was a show called The New Adventures of Beans Baxter. And there was Abe Vigoda there. So I got to hang with Abe Vigoda. But who was the villain on that show? Wendy O. Williams from the Plasmatics <laughs> with the, the mohawk and the leather. And she who would drive a uh, truck off a pier through exploding television sets and who would chainsaw uh, television sets live on stage in her rock and roll show with the plasmatics. So spending time with those kind of people and finding out what they were like uh, was so fantastic. I mean, uh, going out and Tom Jones was shooting a, a show there uh, in uh, North Vancouver. And you know, talking with Tom Jones, and you could go off the record and talk about his uh, life as a man, as it were, and with the ladies and all that, and uh, it was quite interesting. I mean, this is the guy who used to be pelted with uh, panties. Wow. Uh, women would put them, <laughs> uh, throw them up on stage. So, uh, you know, it would go all the way from the sublime to the ridiculous. I mean, I would hang out and uh, drink daiquiris with Bob Hope. Wow. I mean, Bob Hope, you know, the biggest <laughs> comedian in the world ever. And um, I got to hang out with Sophia Loren, and she was really interesting. Um, you know, these people do a lot of corporate work, which is something that a lot of people don't know. And there's a little tale of Bob Hope, I'll just tell you. He um, he made us these lovely daiquiris in his place down at the, uh, oh gosh, it's not the Blue Horizon, but the one beside it. Anyhow, um, 
he said, you know, I just got back from uh, doing a convention uh, for the Kellogg's company at Battle Creek. And he said, Les, have you ever, have you ever had these things called Pop-Tarts? <laughs> and, I, and I said, what? Yeah. He says, aren't they fantastic? When I went to my room, they had this big basket of Kellogg's products, and there was this box of these Pop-Tarts, and they are the most delicious things I've ever tasted in my life. Now, this is Bob Hope, who owned several hundred miles of Sunset Strip, right? He uh -huh. owned so much of Sunset Strip that uh, the government actually made him give away several thousand acres as a park to the people of California. So obviously he's one of the most rich men in the world. And he's probably never been in a grocery store to do his own grocery shopping, you know, in his 80 years of existence at that point. So for him to find this absolute uh, ecstasy in these crummy little pastry <laughs> things that we've all had since we were kids was absolutely charming. That's funny. Uh, yeah. Um, but, you know, on and on it went. And I, I met some absolute geniuses. Uh, I, you know, I would say Frank Zappa was a genius. I would say Captain Beefheart was a genius. But one man I met who probably people wouldn't consider a genius, but I just was absolutely blown away by his, uh, his brilliance, was Wes Craven, oh. the ho horror movie maker. And I like Wes Craven movies, but he has done some dogs. Let's face it. But we got to talking. He was doing a show with uh, Robert Englund up in a studio in Vancouver, and it was called... Uh, Nightmare Theater, I think. And it was a very good show. And I sat down to talk to him. And I was very into the whole horror genre. You know, I was trying to write a horror novel myself at that point. And he just explained horror to me in just the most amazingly well understood and familiar terms. He was just an absolute genius at knowing what the psychological ramifications of terror as entertainment were and how America with having so many men come back from Vietnam and having post-traumatic stress disorder uh, how it needed this sort of catharsis so that people could you know be afraid, but know that they were safe in a movie theater the whole time. And this would help a lot of people vent their anxieties and their fears. Um, and he saw creating horror entertainment as something that was just something that was very worthwhile. Another genius I met was Kurt Vonnegut. Um, Kurt Vonnegut, I think pretty much shaped the philosophy of humanism and the philosophy of the ecology 
that has become the religion of the millennials these days. You know, I sit around and I think sometimes, boy, these millennials, they don't really have any spiritual background or connection. And then somebody said to me, well, the ecology is their new new religion. And I said, oh, yeah, that does make a whole lot of sense. And that whole idea of just, you know, good Lord, there's only one thing you have to do in your life, and that's be kind. I mean, that's directly from Kurt Vonnegut. I mean, the Dalai Lama has certainly uh, got some use out of it too. But Kurt Vonnegut, when he was writing about, you know, his amazingly eccentric characters, uh, Elliot Rosewater and Kilgore Trout and uh, all those great characters um, and people coming unstuck in time uh, in Slaughterhouse-Five, all those things really led to um, the, the intellectualization of the counterculture movement, I think, um, and certainly what could then have been called the, the hippie long hair movement. Um, and then, you know, other times were um, lots of fun too, like hanging around with Joey Ramone, uh, lead singer of the Ramones. And what people didn't know about him was he had like OCD really, really badly. Wow. And he was walking around the hotel room touching things and tapping things and counting things while I'm interviewing them. Wow. And that was fascinating to uh, deal with. But, um, yeah, the, you know, so many people say that journalism is in a bad state and all that. And I will say that, you know, metropolitan daily papers did make some stakes with their business models when they became intimidated by the internet. Um, and that has caused them vast problems. But it's not actually the uh, competition for news, etc., cetera, on, um, uh, on the internet that causes the problems. It's the fact that the feature sections and the news sections of newspapers are actually supported by the classified ads. Mm. So it was the classified ads facing um, competition from free uh, uh, internet places like uh, used Victoria, Craigslist, uh, things like that. That's what caused the decline in the revenues of newspapers. And if you walk through any place like a Chapters or um, uh, Coles, any of those kind of big bookstores, and you walk by the magazine area, you will see that magazines have never been doing better. They are thick, they're expensive, they're loaded with ads, which is, you know, good in the business sense. And, you know, I teach my students that what they've got to have is a field of expertise. And you look at the best magazine in Vancouver right now is probably a magazine called Color. 
It's perfect bound, it's metro format, square format, and it's a skateboarding magazine. It's all about skateboarding, but they've got those big double page Powell Peralta color ads. They've got the big uh, Nike ads. They've got the big Merrill's ads. They've got all these ads for snowboards and all those things. And it's the most high quality product put out on the west coast of Canada. How nice is that? And that's, mm -hmm. you know, just because there's a certain crew based, you know, uh, on uh, on skateboarding so you know no matter what your field you can always find a place to sell it and that's why I teach communications at Royal Roads because I know if you learn how to you know knock together a noun and a verb properly and I teach you how to arrange your uh, research properly that you can actually go out there and make a career as a writer it's not such a uh, big mystifying business as many people have portrayed it. Plus, let's face it, it's never been easy to get published. You know, it wasn't easy for Charles Dickens to get published. It wasn't easy for Samuel Johnson to get published. It's not an easy thing to do. You've got to be at the right place at the right time, have the right skills, and have lots of ideas and a field of expertise. I mean, look at television now. There's a show where a guy makes cakes. <laughs> you know, would you like to have been in that boardroom meeting? Uh, okay, so you're saying this is a television show that watches you put water into flour and make it into a cake. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, definitely. We're, we're putting tons of money into that. <laughs> what happens? It took off. The guy's a yeah. star. And yeah. then some, you know, bright light genius says, hey, I know. Let's do a cupcake show. You know, and that, that becomes a hit. Now there's shows. I mean, look at Mike Holmes. I mean, you know, a contractor. And now he's got clothing endorsements. He's got his own magazine. Brad Pitt uh, picked him up to be his man in uh, New Orleans after uh, Hurricane Katrina. I mean, this is a guy who knew how to hammer nails and cut boards. And suddenly, he's this media mogul. Yeah. So, you know, if you think of specialization, uh, uh, I think of like the, the shopping bags those two girls, Anna Walner and Christina Matisic, both of whom were, uh, you know, reporters and straight news people. And suddenly they came up, I came up with an idea like, okay, network, you give us a bunch of money, we'll go out and buy keen stuff, and then you can shoot us as we, you know, try it on and uh, play with it and uh, cook it up or whatever they do. And... You know, that became it's like the such... biggest scam ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And now they have a syndicated column in, you know, many magazines throughout uh, Canada. And, uh, you know, they actually got a second show uh, that they're working on something to do with cooking outdoors or something. Oh, wow. But, uh, you know, 
if you have an idea and you can bring it to the fore and you have communication skills, you can still be a writer for a living. And, you know, it's, it's always been hard, but, you know, once you get that one break, if you keep pounding it, uh, it'll happen. And I know because when I was pumping rocks around the seawall and pouring uh, big trays of asphalt on the, on the seawall, I really thought there wouldn't be a hope in heck of me ever seeing my byline. <laughs> That's brilliant. Thanks, Les, for, for sharing your story with us. That was absolutely entertaining. Um, You're welcome. Uh, so if someone would like to learn more about you, where would they be able to find you on the Internet? Um, well, I have a blog, um, which is, oh my gosh, I don't know where it is. It's, uh, you can, you can email it to me and I can drop it into the, uh, the show notes. Oh, okay. Yeah, okay. That's probably easiest. Right. And, um, you know, I'm on, I'm on, um, Facebook, so okay. you can always find me there. Um, and at Twitter, uh, I think it's L Corridor is my handle on Twitter. So right. you can hang out um, there. And so if anybody wants to find out about Les, you can search his name uh, on Facebook or Twitter. It's, it's uh, Les, L-E-S, Wiseman, W-I-S-E-M-A-N. Yeah, and um, don't believe everything you see out there. <laughs> <laughs> so good, some, good advice. Some people have uh, tried to make me a little bit more legendary than I actually am. <laughs> you're also modest after that kind of a career that's brilliant well thanks again Les and um, I appreciate it maybe we'll have you on in the future sometime again that would be fantastic be a gas. okay Excellent. it's been a pleasure thank you so much thank you alright so everyone has a story to tell and Capturing Legacies was created for that very purpose visit CapturingLegacies.com and let us help you tell yours 